Doug's ready to go, so I'm not going to get in his way. Um, I, I do want to take a second, though, to commend this congregation. Um, there's an old country song that said, Who's going to fill his shoes? Who's going to fill their shoes? We've got young men in this congregation that grew up in this congregation that have answered that call in Isaiah 6. It says, Lord, here am I, send me. I want to commend you for the work that you do with our young people, uh, encouraging them and encouraging them all the way up through adulthood. The work that Kevin does and Doug does with some of our young people, um, now we're seeing the fruits of those labors and I want to commend you for your support of these guys. Uh, Doug really needs no introduction. I think everybody knows Doug. Um, but Doug, about four years ago, sat in my living room and we had a talk about, Doug, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he said, I think I want to preach. But I, I, I can't go back to school and do all that. And we talked and said, yeah, you can. So four years later, Doug is here, about to graduate from the Southeast Institute of Biblical Studies. For the last year and a half, he sat at the feet of very capable men who've taught him a lot of good stuff. And uh, tonight, we'll end for a treat. Doug, come preach the word. Yeah, I was pretty eager to get up here. I was going to introduce myself. Uh, I may have to update you a little bit because uh, it has been a busy, busy year. It's been such a blessing, uh, but it has been extremely busy uh, to bring you guys up to date a little bit. My wife and I just had twins. We had a boy and a girl, Samuel and Juliet. Um, before uh, the twins arrived, my wife was put on bed rest at 20 weeks, and so we had kind of a scary time there for a while. And, uh, but during that time that she was put on bed rest, she was taking 27 hours of courses at school and still passed all of her classes. Uh, so when Randy commends you and says, uh, you guys are doing such a great work, uh, I can't agree more. He took the words right out of my mouth. That was the first thing I was going to say is we thank you guys so much for your prayers, for your support. Everything you guys have done for us is why we're in school. As far as we have come is because of you guys and it's because of uh, everything you've done for us. And so we, Megan and I can't, I don't think we can express uh, how thankful we are for what you guys have done for us. And, and uh, just to let you know where we're at now, uh, we're both still in school. Megan's still taking the courses. Uh, she's still in all the classes. And uh, we plan on graduating in May, June. I'm working part-time right now as a, a, the preacher at the Ware Branch Church of Christ in Harrison, Tennessee, west of Cleveland. And once we graduate, we'll be full-time there. Megan will be working as... Uh, the counselor for the women because she's, we've taken some counseling classes and uh, so she's been educated in that area that she can help some of the women uh, in counseling and she can teach the classes for the children and the women as well. And so once we graduate, uh, we'll start full time there. Um, 
back to the twins for a moment. If there's anyone that is about to have children uh, or is expecting during this time, maybe it's twins, maybe it's triplets, maybe it's just one child. It's such a wonderful blessing. If you're a man and I can give you a piece of advice, possibly, hopefully, uh, something I would like to share with you is uh, don't think. Uh, I thought that I had a good idea. And my wife had left, her mother had taken her out, she needed to get out of the house and just get a breather. And you know what, I got this. I'm ready for twins, I can babysit for an hour, hour and a half, you know, whatever. I got it. And so, one baby starts crying, it was either Samuel or Juliet, and the other starts crying. And so I know what's, go I know what's going on, I know what they're telling me. We're hungry, we need to eat. Okay. Uh, I've seen Megan do this before, but you know what? I got a good idea. I can feed both babies at the same time. And so I take the babies and I place them on the bed and I'm standing on the edge of the bed and I'm feeding both of them. And uh, my, the, the way I'm standing at this point, my leg starts to go numb. So I switched and then that leg, you know, after a while started to go numb. So I threw a leg on the bed and then that other leg started to go numb. So at the, at, towards the end of it, I have both legs on the bed and my body's shaking and the babies were shaking. And then uh, one of them starts throwing up on themselves. So I grabbed that one and I'm trying to burp. Uh, don't think. Mothers know what they're doing. They've, they've been doing it for a very long time. Just take their advice. Don't try anything new. <laughs> Maybe there's a danger in the, the phrase, I think, or I thought. Maybe in today in our communities, maybe in the community in Harrison or around here in Matt Juliet, sometimes thinking or I thought can be dangerous. Sometimes God has told us, uh, uh, given us commands, told us things to do, and sometimes when we think or, or we perceive things from our own worldview, our own scheme, the way we perceive it or, or have always been taught may not be the way God has told us. May not be the message that God's getting across or the command that He's given. If you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. What I wish to accomplish in this lesson for you tonight is nothing spectacular, nothing, you've, nothing new that you're going to hear. It's a very simple lesson, but I think it, uh, it can do a lot of good if we internalize it, if we listen to it, if we recognize that there's people around us who don't see it the same way. 
Naaman was captain of uh, the army of Aram in verse 1. He was four things. He was a, a valiant soldier. He was a highly respected man. He was actually a great man. Naaman's name actually means pleasantness. So it suggests something to his character, the type of person he may have been. He was pleasant to be around. But Naaman was a leper. Now concerning leprosy, uh, it's been debated if this was true leprosy or if it was the common name, Hansen's disease. What you need to realize when you study this, it, you can do a lesson on leprosy, I think it's good to do, but in this particular case, the man is sick and he needs a cure. That's it. He's sick and he needs a cure. So what does he do? Verse 2. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited to, on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. First, let's do a quick contrast between Naaman and this uh, Israelite girl. Um, she has every reason to be bitter, angry. She's an Israelite. He's a, he, she worships uh, the true God of Israel, the one true God. He's a pagan. He worships false gods in Rimon. But she has every reason to be bitter with this individual. But she has compassion. And she tells him where he can go. She sends him to a prophet. And so Naaman, to summarize very quickly before we get into the lesson, uh, Naaman is, uh, tells his master, his king, his king sends a letter to the king of Israel. The king of Israel interpre interprets the letter the wrong way, and he's angry. He thinks it's pretense for a war. He literally tears his clothes, and after he tears his clothes, Elisha, uh, or um, Elijah, uh, with an S-H, uh, who preceded uh, Elijah uh, previously, he hears of it, goes to the king, and he asks the king, why have you torn your clothes? Send the man to me. And so now we're in verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And he has a lot of money with him. He has chariots. He has a, a big brigade. He wants to make a uh, an extravagant show out of his cleansing and so he arrives at the house and what does uh, Elijah do? Verse 10 and Elijah sent a messenger to him saying go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean there's a command to go and wash in the Jordan seven times and then a promise that he will be cleansed. He will be clean. How does Naaman perceive this command and this promise given to him? How dangerous can pride be? Behold, I thought, or I think, the way I perceive it, it comes down to a matter of pride. And we first see pride rear its ugly head in Genesis 3 in the garden, where the woman and the man are commanded not to eat of the tree of the, 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 tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And so they're commanded to not do so, but that tree was desirable to make one wise. And we know from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, for all the things in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not from God, but are of the world. But we're going to focus on that last piece, the pride. And when the woman saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she wanted an earthly wisdom. She wanted wisdom that wasn't from God. She wanted to have the phrase, behold, I thought, I think, without him, without God. And in this scene of uh, Genesis and the fall of man, this is where Adam and Eve are pushed out of the garden. They actually leave the sphere of God's grace. So they're in the presence of God and have God's grace with them. And they're forced out because of disobedience. Naaman, verse 12. If you're still in the text of 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, verse 11 actually. But Naaman was furious, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought, and he, surely, uh, he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name uh, of his God and wave his hand and cure the leper. Are not uh, Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he went away in a rage. He's furious because it's not what he thought. A quick example for us today, uh, some application that we can take with us. Sometimes people can become or get angry at something God has said or commanded or told us to do in general. We can get angry at things God has said just because it's not the way we perceive it or we've always been taught or always shown. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1 very quickly. And we're going to look at verses 19 and 20. In verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 20, for the anger of man works not the righteousness of God. I think this is good in any vertical or horizontal relationship we have with each other, but in our vertical relationship with God that we express to one another, this is vitally important. In context here, what the writer is saying is don't get angry at the word. The word. Don't get angry at God's word before, because the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. What does work the righteousness of God? God's word. Turn your, tech, turn the, your Bibles back to 2 Kings chapter 5. And so we're established where Naaman is at in his life. He's furious at this command. He's angry. Behold, he thought he has an issue of pride in his heart. It's not the way that he perceived it to be, but the way he wanted it. And then in verse 13, then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, had the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Naaman wanted or expected to do something great. 
He expected and thought that he wanted to do something great for God. Their God would do something great for him and he wanted to make a big show of it. Applying this to us today, and everything we've covered so far, does God say things or has commanded things in his Bible that don't quite make sense to us? They may even seem foolish. And so when others hear uh, of how to be cleansed in, in our community that don't come to uh, the Lord's church and don't understand his way and have knowledge of what he has commanded us to do, when they hear it, they say, that's not the way I perceive it. That's not the way I was taught. What does that come down to? Your heart. So as God asked us before, before the New Testament, to do things that don't quite make sense to us. Genesis 6, 9, Noah, build a boat. Oh, all right. Genesis 22, 1 and 2. Hey, Abraham, go offer your son up on an altar. Oh, oh okay, sure. That makes, that makes sense. I'll go and do that. I wasn't busy anyway. I was waiting on something to do. Joshua 6. All right, we're going to go and we're going to conquer this city. God, what do you want us to do? March around seven days. And on the seventh day, march around seven times and then yell a great shout. All, all right. See, God has told us to do things in the past in the Old Testament that didn't quite make sense to us. What about the man in John chapter 9, the blind man? where Jesus told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Was the power in the water? Or was it in the command? Would he still have been cleansed if he would have disobeyed and not gone to that pool? What is Naaman need? He needs faith. He needs to trust God. And in his faith, he has some requirements. He needs to be humble. Humble in mind, and he needs to submit to what God has said. Um, in James chapter 4, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you may be asking, okay, that, that sounds good, but... How does a person humble themselves before God? How, how can I humble myself? Well, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So if you want to be humble, cast all your cares upon God. If you want to submit to God, like in James chapter 4 verse 7 as well, it says submit to God and resist the devil, flee from him. Draw near to God. At the end of verse 13 when his friend said, how much more then when he says to you wash and be clean. Verse 14 
So he went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Naaman received grace and mercy, love and kindness from God. He had been obedient in his faith. He had trusted what God had said. He had humbled himself and submitted to the command and went to the Jordan and dipped seven times and received grace from God and was cleansed and restored. Where do we find New Testament grace? What has God given to, to all mankind now? Because in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Where can we access God's grace today? How does this apply to us today? We'll start in John 3.16. Uh, God sent His only begotten Son that whoever should believe on Him shall have everlasting life. That's God's grace coming down. He sent His only Son to be a sacrifice that through His Son we may have uh, this grace found in Him. Um, some quick verses, Matthew 28, 18. All authority and power has been given to Christ here on earth and in heaven. Acts 4, 12. I'm going through these very quickly so we can make a point here in a second. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. John 1.14 and 1.16, in Jesus he was full of grace and truth, for from him uh, fullness, for from his fullness we all receive grace upon grace. We can have access to God's grace through his Son. Is it just a faith only? Is it just a, a prayer, one might say, to access God's grace? Did Naaman say, behold, I thought that all of my friends would come out or, or the man of God may come out and he would recite some words and I would say them back or repeat them back and tell God that I'm a leper and I need cleansing and say a prayer with me and I would be cleansed. Imagine with me if you're in a house and the room is dark and the blinds are closed and it's, uh, it's high noon, the sun is out, there's, no, there's not a cloud in the sky and someone comes over to your house and they're like, man, it is dark in here. They're like, uh, I can't see anything. Hey, uh, you know the sun's outside. No, it's not. I have to make the sun happen. I can't just access this sun that's outside. And the friend gets up and goes to the blinds and opens them. Now the sunlight is in the room. The light uh, shines uh, from the sun into the room and it's lit up inside. Would someone say that, hey, it was because of the work that you did that that made that sun shine outside. No, the sun is already shining outside, but it's up to us to go and access the sunlight. God has already given us his son, and he has sacrificed himself 
And all authority and power and grace is found in His Son. And we have to access this. But how? When do we access this grace from God? To summarize very quickly, uh, or to bring us uh, from where we are, uh, so we can understand a little bit better, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And so we need to be humble. There's, there's been, uh, there's about to, we're about to read a command that God has given us. Uh, how are we to receive this? How do we know what we need? Matthew 16, 16, verse 15, Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter and he says, Who do you say that I am? And in verse 16 he said, uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, You are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Keep your finger there and turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. In verse 18 it says, And the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And here's the point I want to make, I want us to focus on. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Turn back to Matthew chapter 16, look at verse 19. He gives to Peter, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Where did Peter open up the gates of the kingdom? We're all familiar with that verse, it's Acts chapter 2. And Peter stood up with the twelve, and with many other words he testified, and he told them about Jesus. And when they realized that they were the ones that had crucified Jesus, they asked, because they were pierced in the heart, and they asked, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. When people get to this final step in the plan of salvation, we get to this final point that they want to access God's grace and they hear what they must do, it seems foolish, ridiculous. See, it doesn't make sense to their way of thinking or the way they've been taught. And so it comes down to a matter of their heart. It comes down to the matter of the heart. And so we realize that an individual, to access God's grace, he must uh, believe in Jesus, repent, confess, turn from his life of sin to Christ, and be baptized just as he was baptized, or be baptized uh, into him and have his sins washed away and be cleansed. But why? Why that? Because it doesn't make sense to the world. You know, every Sunday that we take the Lord's Supper, 
we remember what the Lord gave for us on the cross. He sacrificed his body. He shed his blood. And just like in Romans 6, where sin abounds, grace abounds, and so the people perceive that, hey, maybe we should sin more so grace can abound more. And Paul says, may it never be. For everyone that has been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death. And so just as Christ was uh, uh, crucified on the cross and then buried and then raised on the third day, we reenact that moment following in the footsteps of Jesus, following Jesus from death into life. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We are to follow Jesus back into the presence of God where we once again enter that sphere of grace that we left in the garden. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is where we'll close. We know that in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1 verses 3 through 14, uh, he gives a list of all these spiritual blessings that are found in Christ in verse 3. That's a universal affirmative, meaning all the spiritual blessings are found in Christ. There's not one spiritual blessing found outside of Christ. And that's verses 3 through 14. There's a list of those spiritual blessings. And then verse 15, Paul gives this prayer. And he says he wants them to have more insight, more knowledge and wisdom of the revelation and uh, of the inheritance to come and of Christ. And then starting in chapter 2, verse 1, these individuals were dead. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. They were dead in their sins. Verse 1. And you were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. There's three things that you can find around the word grace. And this isn't uh, every time you see the word grace, but typically you'll find three things around the word grace. Starting in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, because, his, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness, mercy, love, and kindness, God's grace. He might show uh, toward us in Christ Jesus 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so no one can boast. Because Christ has come, and from death he entered into life, and he has those keys. And he gave them to Peter of what you must do and to follow him from death to life to get back into the presence of God where there is grace and obedient faith follows Jesus back into the presence of God where there is grace. And this faith here was a dead faith made alive by Christ Jesus being obedient and following him. And that's the message I want to leave with us tonight. And I ask you, are you obedient? Are you obedient enough to enter back into God's grace? If you've never become a Christian, if you've never been an individual that has experienced God's grace, there are people who would love to study with you here tonight who can teach you of God's grace and what it means to access this grace. If you've been a Christian and you've left that sphere of grace, you've fallen from grace, it's not God who's gone anywhere, it's us. We've left His grace. If you want to if there was a, a couple words that you could slam the Bible together and just make it a couple words, uh, you know, what does this book mean? One thing that we could uh, tell each other is, or we could understand from scriptures, is it's basically God saying, you're here, you need to be there. Move. If you're an individual that has left God's grace, move back into his grace. Again, I appreciate you. We thank you so much. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope that you realize that there's a difference uh, in a dead faith and a live faith. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse 7, that was a dead faith. James chapter 2, that is a, a faith that is already made alive. And a faith that has no works, that isn't obedient after that, is no different than the, the faith of the devils. So I encourage you, please, uh, access God's grace once again. If you're subject to the invitation, 